Okay, well, we'll go ahead and get started with our word for today. And as always, you are more than welcome to head back to the table at any point and get more food or grab a brownie or get some coffee. I've, I had a little coffee and iced tea set up going just a moment ago. So all the necessities, um, get them taken care of. Um, but I, I think I've met everybody here. But uh, just in case, my name is Evan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeview. This has always been a church home for me. And it's one of my joys, really, to come and, and, and speak to God's pearls and to, to get to spend some time, spend some lunch with you. Uh, a couple nights ago, Wednesday night, I was, I was speaking to the teenagers in the church, and now this morning, get to be with our senior ladies group and really preaching on some topics that were pretty similar, because the, the underlying heart conditions and humanity are the same, but just the variety of people that God's word and his mercy impacts. It's just a, a treasure to, to witness and experience that. Um, we are continuing today a series that started at your last meeting. We're, we're doing a study of the names of God, and I believe Pastor Peter was here last time, and he kind of introduced the concept of why are we going through uh, these names, and, and then he talked about God's personal name, uh, Yahweh, and, and what that means and what that reveals about his his character. Um, and, and God's names, you know, naming in the ancient world, uh, it wasn't just, hey, let's, this sounds cool, let's assign that to you. It, it, it declared something about you. It, it, it declared your, your destiny. That, that was the conviction that parents had. They were, they, they were very careful in how they went about uh, selecting names. Names had significance and meaning to that. And, and, and it said something about who that person was. And, and, and God's names do that for us as well, right? We don't name God. God tells us who he is, and he reveals his character uh, to us through his names. And, and there's nothing more important for us to know than that. You know, we, we've shared this quote before from A.W. Tozer that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because how we see God influences how we see everything life, everything else in life and how we understand ourselves in the world that God has made. Well, today we're going to be talking about Yahweh Yaira, the Lord, our provider, and the letters on the top of your page, that's not Chinese, that, that is Hebrew, and you read it from right to left, and so the word on the right is the, is the name for Yahweh, and then Yaira, uh, the Lord, our provider. And, and provision, it, it, it gets at a question that resides in all of our hearts, and it's the question of, will I have enough? And there are a variety of categories where we, we face that question. We can face it in our financial world. You know, will, will there be enough for me in these years? Maybe you're, you're facing a retirement season or you're, you're well into that season of life. And there's a little bit of a lingering question of, uh, are my needs going to be met going forward? But will, will there be enough for me? But that's not just in the category of finances, right? That, that could be true of health. Will I be enough? Will I have enough uh, energy to sustain uh, what life calls me to engage in these days? What's going to happen to my body in, in the years to come? Right? That, that can be a, a question that kind of just lingers in your soul. Uh, we can ask, will, will people be enough for me? 
Are they going to be there for me? My family, my friends, in, in moments of need, moments of trial, maybe the kinds of needs you, you're already experiencing or the, or the ones that your imagination can extend and find, are the people around you in that time, are they going to be enough for you? Or are they going to be busy with their lives and activities and pursuits and you're kind of an afterthought in their, in their world? I mean, that, these are the kinds of anxieties that you might be facing. But the irony of worry, and, and we all know this well, is that the moment that provision arrives in any of these areas, uh, that does not silence our worries. It, it, in some ways, it, it turns up the volume on them because then we can be anxious about the very thing we've been looking for and wanting to have and it has arrived into our lives and now we're clinging to it because there's the concern well what happens if this gets taken away from me and and that can have a, a bit of a crushing effect on the very thing that you love i mean you've experienced enough life to know that in yourself and to, to observe it in the the people around you they're we, we watch this just as a, as a pastoral team. There will be people who will get married later in, in life, um, and, and they've brought with them. This isn't just true of the people who get married later in life, but the, I think this is a unique weakness here because you, you've built up years of expectation, of longing, of hope for what this experience is going to be and what it's going to provide for you. You, you bring all of that to another person who, like you, is finite, unimpressive, and a sinner. <laughs> and who, not just that, they are all of those things in categories that are different from you, which allows you to kind of look down your nose. And, 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 and we, we see uh, marriages that are facing trouble and, and, and conflict because there, there's an anxiety that's come up. I, I thought this would be more for me than what it is. And there's disappointment, and then there's fear. Well, what does this mean for the rest of my life now? Uh, maybe you watch this with, uh, if you've got grandchildren, and, and you're kind of walking with your children and their parenting methods and how they think through that. There can be some overprotective tendencies. That, that, that can land you in one of two things. There are people that they kind of over-discipline, and they're over-cautious be because of that sense of protection and worry, or, or some of them they may under-discipline. That's probably more uh, common today. Uh, but w where does that come from? Well, it comes from locating in these children my, my sense of worth and reward, and nothing bad can happen to them because my world is going to crumble if it does. So I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure they stay in line or make sure n nothing bad affects them. And so much parenting today can come out of fear, right? Uh, and, and the thing is, we, we respond this way when what we're interpreting as life gets threatened, when we feel like it can be removed. Timothy Keller says this, we never imagine that getting our heart's deepest desires might be the worst thing that can ever happen to us. That's not, the, that's not the message that the culture around us is selling to us. But we're going to encounter a man. It's a, he's a familiar man in, in God's storyline in, in Scripture who uh, he receives a child in his old age, and that is going to get threatened, and it's going to feel like 
the worst thing that could happen to him, but uh, it's going to teach us about the way that God provides for us. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 22, and there are some notes on the tables, and if y'all need to grab one of those, there's a few extra on that glass table over there too. Genesis 22, I'm going to land in that passage, uh, but I want us to back up a little bit in his life, and I've got some other passages that are uh, already in your notes there. Uh, the, the first thing that we see, we're going to see three things that God does in Abraham's life and ours. The, the Lord calls, the Lord tests, and the Lord provides. But uh, this story starts with God issuing a call into this man, and, and that begins in chapter 12, verse 1. This is in your notes. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Let's just take a moment to enter this man's world because it's, it's easy for these to be familiar Bible stories and verses on a page. Can you imagine what this would have felt like? He is 75 years old when he hears this. And he's being told to depart from everything that's familiar to you, where you've grown up, where you have always lived, from your extended relatives and, 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 and the, your family members and the business that you've always managed, everything that provides for you a sense of normalcy and security. And listen, I, I know this is true of some of you in here. I, I, I know life has suddenly been redefined in some of these categories, and it, and it feels like you, you've had to depart from what you have always known. All right, well, this is, this is true in Abraham's life as well. But what he says here, right, God says, go to the land I will show you. We heard last time that God's name, Yahweh, it, it means I am, right? I, he reveals that in, in Exodus 3, I am that I am, or you could also translate that, I will be what I will be. Uh, and you find several of those kinds of statements in this story, several I will statements. And the one you find here, I, I will show you where you're going to go, Abraham. And that's going to be an important verb. The, the Hebrew verb for show or see is the same Hebrew verb that is in Yaira, the Lord will provide. But what, he, what God is telling him here is, you don't know the way. This is uncharted territory for you, Abraham. All you need to know is, I can see it. I will show you where you're going to go and where you're going to head um, here. And, and, and that's what faith calls from us. Faith is seeing unseen realities. It responds to what God already sees, but what we cannot see. And here's how the author of Hebrews describes it in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, right? We, we interact all the time with visible things. But 
the author of Hebrews pulls back the veil and he says, do you, you want to know the way things really are? Right? What's underneath this podium or this binder or this guy up here who's speaking right now into this microphone? What, what is giving all of these things permission to exist and sustaining every molecule that's here? If you, if you pull it all back and you get underneath everything that you can, what you find there is something you can't see. What you find there are words. You find divine permission. You find God saying, let there be. And reality responds. He speaks and it shows up. Right, and this is what God has told Abraham. You don't have to have it all figured out. All, all you need to know is I'm the one who makes universes with my speech. And I will show you where to go. And he responds and leaves and heads to God's call, right? In verse 8 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. And, and, and that is going to characterize this man's life and this man's story. If, if you want to pick up a, a theme to, to describe Abraham, right, the, the theme of faith is really big. Uh, the theme of God's promise, right? When God shows up in chapter 12, he brings not just a call, he makes promises. And the very nature of promises is you're talking about things that aren't there yet. Right? I don't, I'm not going to promise you something that I've already done <laughs> or promise you something that's right in front of you. I, I'm, I, if I'm making a promise to you, it's in the future. It's not here yet. You can't see it yet. But if my word is certain and you know I'm going to make it happen, then you can believe the promise. And, and the crucible that God takes Abraham through season after season of his life is, will you trust me in my promise? Will you believe my word that I will provide? And there is this season of testing that first looks like waiting for Abraham because God comes and he, and he brings this amazing declaration that he's going to make this one little guy, this, this little nomad into a huge nation of people. And, and, and so not only Abraham are, are you and Sarah, you, you guys are childless at this point in, in your life. I'm, I'm going to provide for you a son, but not just that. There's going to be a whole lineage, a whole nation of people, none of which you can see right now. But I'm going to do it, Abraham. And, you know, we all love children, obviously. You know, we've got, got a bunch of grandmas in here. And just you no know, matter who you are, it's, it's hard to say, I just you know, hate babies, hate kids. Uh, uh, I was talking about my kids uh, just a little while ago. Uh, but. Children, they're, they're not just, hey, wouldn't it be so cute and so nice to have one of those? Um, in the ancient world, so much of your identity was wrapped up in what kind of family are you leaving behind? It wasn't as individualistic of a society as we are today, where it's kind of like, what are your stats and what's your performance and what kind of career do you have and where, what's your platform? And it's all about you, 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 you. That's not how they saw life. If they wanted to build something that was to last, uh, they were looking to their kids. They were looking to, what kind of family am I leaving behind? 
And, and the firstborn in particular, that, that was so freighted with significance. That's why you have some of these laws in the Old Testament that kind of don't make as much sense to us, like Leverite marriage. You know, if you're a widow, you go ahead and marry your brother-in-law. Anybody want to sign up for that deal? <laughs> why do they do that? Well, uh, so that there would be a firstborn, so that his name could be carried on because, remember, name names are significant, and you located your name in your line that was to follow you. And Abraham doesn't have that. He has really no future until God comes in and says, I'm changing the storyline here, Abraham and Sarah. You guys have been waiting and waiting and waiting, and there's been expectation and disappointment, and now the conclusion that I guess that was just not for us. And God changes the story, but not just that, right? This isn't just about this couple in a desert somewhere, right? You guys have been taught by Pastor Peter, so you know well the whole concept of your offspring and your seed showing up in Genesis. You flip back a few chapters, this is not just their promise, this is the promise. This is the weight of the whole world riding in this moment. God saying, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send, you know, back to Eve in Genesis 3. I'm, I'm going to send an offspring. I'm going to send a seed who's going to crush the head of the snake. He's going to put right everything that sin has destroyed, lift the curse, right? And so th this is a weighty promise that God brings to Abraham and to Sarah, and yet 15 years passes by with silence. And then you come to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I love how before Abram's even said a word, God's already identified the heart condition of this man and what he needs. He's facing fear. He's facing anxiety, insecurity. Fear not, I'm your shield, your very reward. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And that's a significant verse in the New Testament that says, when we trust God, God says we're in the right. He, he makes us his friend just by faith in him. But notice for Abraham, nothing has changed about his circumstances. He's done a little bit of astronomy here. But he doesn't have any children, right? He doesn't get to see his sons. All he can stare at are the stars. But the maker of the stars and the one who says, let there be, let there be, let there be, 
has brought his word. And Abraham says, be safe. I believe. I trust you. And what's striking here, you know, all Abraham has is God's word, God's promise. Really, all Abraham has in this moment is God. And notice how God describes himself in verse 1. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. I'm your inheritance. I'm everything that you need. Evan Clowney says, God promised not merely to give Abram a reward, but to be Abram's reward. There was no greater blessing possible. God would himself be the inheritance and portion of Abram and his seed. Well, well, 10 more years go by. Uh, I was talking with a college student this morning, and just he's in a, in a season of waiting for something to arrive, and it's challenging, and he might have to wait another few years for that. And I had in the back of my mind preparing for this and thinking about, okay, yeah, Abraham's 25-year history of this. Uh, we often don't know waiting that's quite like this. But I find this this verse is striking here, and I think a lot of us can identify with this experience. It's something that we might just tend to read over when we're reading the Bible. But in chapter 20, verse 17, you know, Abraham and Sarah, they go in the land of Gerar, and they visit this guy named Abimelech. And Abraham does something kind of knuckleheaded that he had already done in Egypt with Pharaoh, but he decides, hey, that was a good idea, let's do that again. Uh, which was say, hey, Sarah's my sister, so, you know, don't hurt me because she's kind of beautiful. Uh, and so Abimelech takes Sarah into his household, and, and God shows up and is like, time out, Abimelech. Stay away from her because <laughs> that's my man's woman. That's how God talks sometimes, you know. Um, well, what, what happens there? So then, so then God tells Abraham to intercede on behalf of the people. In verse 17, then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. And also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife, who, by the way, is still barren. Can you imagine what that feels like to be Abraham in this moment? Uh, dear God, please open their wombs. Okay. And like that, that prayer is answered and you're watching blessing flood into the lives of people around you and you're 25 years into this not just 25 years you're 90 years old and that has never arrived for you and we, we we know what this is like when god seems to be providing for others in the very categories that we have been pouring out our heart for him and what is that for you a longing for him to save family members, and you've been faithful, and you've brought your requests to the Lord again and again, and not many signs of movement in response to that. You've been dealing with chronic issues of pain, just tremendous discomfort, dizziness, whatever kinds of health needs you've been walking through and they've, they've had that kind of thorn in the flesh component of I've asked, I've asked, I've asked and all I've heard from heaven is 
I don't intend to take that away. Right? And, and, and he cries out to the Lord on behalf of these others, and yet he's been in a time of waiting. Well, we know the story, right? Isaac finally arrives. Uh, at this point, uh, Abraham and Sarah have been laughing and, and not believing this could be true, and so that becomes an appropriate name for the kid when he's born. Again, names are significant. So Isaac means he laughs, and the laughter overcomes the sorrow that they've walked through. And just imagine the joy of this moment. You know, I've got coming up uh, on Sunday will be my youngest son, Leo's one-year-old birthday, and so we'll do a little birthday party for him. Sunday night, and so Isaac, you know, he hits his one-year-old birthday party, and they're taking snapshots, whatever technology they had uh, back then, uh, right? Uh, Abraham has been walking with Isaac and teaching him his ways, teaching him about the Lord and his faithfulness, and can you believe Isaac? God's been true to his promise, and we were waiting for you for so long, and and you are here, my man, and, and he's teaching him about manhood, and, and, and Isaac is kind of at a point now where he's about to transition into becoming a man. And then Abraham gets this word. Verse 1, chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Take your son, your only one, the one that you love, Isaac, and render him over to me. I want him back. And, and this seems so inscrutable. It seems so mysterious. In fact, for some people, they read the Bible, and it seems offensive. It's like, what, do you, what do you do with it? Like child sacrifice? What, what is God asking for here? Now, remember, the, the people that were originally reading the book of Genesis, they were the Israelites that came out of Egypt in the Exodus, and they had walked through the Passover, and they knew God claims the firstborn son. So th 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 this isn't strange to hear. And they, and they knew that every life belongs to God, and every sinner forfeits his life. And so God is not asking for anything unjust here, anything that as the creator and the giver of life and the righteous one, he does not have the right to do. But, but we know this, right? This is a test. That, that's what verse 1 tells us. It, it's, it's a test for Abraham. It's a test of allegiance. It's a test of supreme affections. Abraham, what's reigning in your heart, man? What are you looking to? What satisfies you? Where's your identity and your comfort and your 
security is it is in what you can see right here right and and here's the strange part about it because it seems like what god's asking for is not just for his son but to kill the promise that god himself had made right this line ends with isaac and not just the hope of this couple but the expectations and longings that have been built up looking for the one who is to come. But what happens in these moments when we experience loss or we experience deprivation, if something is removed or asked of us, it, it reveals for us what rules our hearts. And that's what God concludes in verse 12 after Abraham goes through with responding to the test, it says, Now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. John Piper says, The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And God's given us so many good gifts, treasures. And there are times when God leads us to test are we willing to depart from these? I'm not sure what's happening. Let me see. Uh, are we there? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, man. All right, but, you know, so some people wonder, okay, God would have already known. Doesn't God know what's in Abraham's heart? Some people read that verse of saying, well, I guess God doesn't know the future, you know. He needed to figure it out. If, if the problem is God doesn't know the future, well, then that doesn't add any more certainty because Abraham could go through with all this and still turn around and do something different. And so if, if God's just as surprised with these things as we are, that's a big problem for him managing the universe. Uh, that's not what's happening here. Look what C.S. Lewis says. The reality of Abraham's obedience was the act itself in what God knew in knowing that Abraham would obey was Abraham's actual obedience on that mountaintop at that moment. I love this. This is the kind of thing that C.S. Lewis says. To say that God need not have tried the experiment is to say that because God knows, the thing known by God need not exist, right? The thing that God knows is Abraham is going to obey me and he leads him to that very experience in order for him to be strengthened in his trust of the Lord. And John Piper says, God wills to know the actual lived out reality of our preference for him over all things. And he wills that we have the testimony of, of our own authenticity through acts of actual preference of God over his gifts. And what Piper's saying in that context, we talked about this on Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago, if you were there, he's talking about fasting. But fasting is a way of saying, God, I am, I am acting out my preference for you over the good things like food and entertainment and other things that you have provided in my life. I'm not looking to these things as my source. I look to you and in God's kindness, he will not allow any created thing to be our hope. Because that's not good for us. And that's certainly not good for the 
created things that we seek to find some sense of hope and joy from, we just crush those things in our hands uh, because they're not able to deliver that for us. And so we get frustrated and we get angry about them. Right? If you just want to trace, if, 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 you, if you find things like irritability and frustration and aggravation surfacing in your life or in someone else's, you just pull that up and trace it back. You're going to find something there that you were looking to that has not been fulfilled. That's what James 4 says. Why do you fight? Well, because you desire and you don't have. Because what you were desiring wasn't able to deliver that. It wasn't God. But everything that God calls us to do in life, it, it, it begins with the place of surrender. When God seems to be killing us, he's actually saving us. But this story doesn't end in death, but in resurrection. And here's the where we get our name for God. The Lord provides Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar, right? We're going to trace for that verb, seeing, here. And skip down to verse 7. Come back to verse 5. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, that's the word for see there, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I don't see any lamb. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And that verb for provide there is, again, it's the word for see. God will see it. God will see to it that there is a lamb for sacrifice. And we're not exactly sure everything that Abraham understands in this moment. But what he knows is in some way, there's going to be provision for a lamb. And there's going to be provision of God's promise. And he ascends this mountain with that conviction inside of him, with next to zero understanding of how that's going to work out. How do we know that's what he has in him? Look back at verse 5. Abraham said to his servants, Sit yourself here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go as far as there, and we will worship and return to you. Right? That's a little bit unclear because, you know, in, in English, we, you know, unlike Spanish and other languages, we don't necessarily put our subject along with our verb. But in Hebrew, you do. And so in Hebrew, every, every verb has a subject with it, right? And, 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 and so, and, and there's another little word that's in Hebrew here, um, which is, is added in passages when you want to add emphasis. All right, so let me give you another translation of that. 
I and the boy will indeed go as far as there, and we will worship, and we will indeed return to you. We will certainly come back. Isaac's going with me up the mountain, and he's coming back with me. And I don't know how that's going to happen. And what the author of Hebrews concludes in chapter 17 is, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Even if God's got to raise the dead here, he's going to be true to his promise. Well, how did Abraham know that? Well, in providing Isaac to begin with, God had already raised the dead. He had already called things to be that were not yet. That's how Paul puts it in Romans 6, verse 17. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist right by his word. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. It's God who natural limitations, natural lack and emptiness and barrenness in life, they do not limit him at all because he calls forth anything that he recognizes we need, and he will provide. And he provides more than we could ever ask for. So verse 14, Abraham raised his eyes, and he saw, there's our word, he saw there was a ram behind, caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him as a sacrifice instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide or the Lord will see to it what it says today on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided and on that same mountain 2,000 years later another firstborn son ascended carrying wood on his back and when he was stretched out and the hammer was raised for the nails to pierce him there there was no voice calling for it to stop. He would be the lamb with his head caught in the thorns, the one slain instead of you and me. But the son of Abraham would rise from the dead and bring life out of death for his people. The Lord provides. Provides what? Like a new Mercedes? <laughs> uh, provides our greatest need. This is what we need. We need rescue. We face rightly judgment for our sin. And yet the same God who says it's time to collect provides a substitute, provides his own beloved son.
Romans 8 tells us, if he did not spare his own son, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Anything else is small potatoes. <laughs> he will ensure we have enough here and into all eternity. Timothy Keller says, God saw Abraham's sacrifice and said, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your only son from me. But how much more can we look at his sacrifice on the cross and say to God, now we know you love us for you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. When the magnitude of what he did dawns on us, it makes it possible finally to rest our hearts in him rather than in anything else. That's what Yahweh Yireh means. God, we rest in him. You are enough. You will see it through all the way to the end, no matter what we face. And you've given us your son. I love the song by Andrew Peterson. He puts it like this. The blood of Jesus is like the widow's oil. It's enough to pay the price to set you free. It can fill up every jar and every heart that ever beat when it's all you have. It's all you'll ever need. God brought this man to a place of recognizing that's all I have and all I'll ever need. It may be true in our own hearts as well. God, we, we are amazed. Not only at your ability to bring to be things that seem impossible to us, but God, your mercy, Lord, toward us in, in our unbelief, toward us in our sin, in our frustration, in our idolatry, in the ways that we look to almost anything but you to provide us hope. God, thank you that you have loved us so clearly and we can be confident you will care for us to the end. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, there are some discussion questions at the end of your notes there. So I think now I'm just going to take a little time at your tables to uh, work through those together and just let's put on this in, in the real places of, of life uh, together. It's always a joy to be with you. Thank you so much.